team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podgewee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. We got a jam-packed show, Mike. We're gonna talk are the Argos, the 2023 Argos, the best team of all time? It's a very controversial topic. We're gonna talk about our non-tie cats most wanted and least wanted Grey Cup matchups, but we're gonna kick things off here. It was the deadline for team awards was last weekend, so they haven't announced them yet. Although I assume they'll probably be announced since we're recording this on Tuesday, they will probably be announced on Wednesday as to who the team mm-hmm. nominees for each award will be. But getting ahead of that, you and I are going to sit here and we're going to hand out our awards for the six player awards. I believe there are yes, yeah, special teams, rookie lineman, Canadian defensive player and top most outstanding player. We're going to hand out who we think deserve those awards from the tie cats this year. So, Mike, are you ready to uh, hand out some, uh, I don't know, Podski awards, I guess? Yeah, I got my list right here, and I'm just uh, ready to give them out. All right. Uh, I don't want to assume that you have players in certain spots, so we're going to go each award one by one here. We're going to start with most outstanding special teams player. There's been a few guys here that I think have earned some consideration, Mike, but who did you ultimately decide deserved this for the Ticats? CFL, CFL, <laughs> Mr. Flowers Lloyd. I mean, he has yeah. to be that guy, doesn't he? I mean, they're, they're, you're right. There is some guys on this team that have done a fine job on special teams. Um, I thought Thagio has had a very good year kicking field goals, but Flowers Lloyd, man, he's a demon coming out of that. Uh, he's like a, uh, a horse coming out of the chute. He just, uh, he seems to be around. If he's not making the tackle on the covers, he's around it. So he's just he's just a stud in the special teams unit, and he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, I had three guys. Legio was a distant third in my mind. Uh, Tyreek McAllister is another guy that I considered for yep. this. But my thing with him, and I've seen some Ticat fans float out that he should be either most outstanding special teams player, most outstanding rookie, hasn't taken one to the house as a kick returner. So... Whereas Flowers Lloyd is like, what, seven or eight tackles away from setting the record for most in the season. And to do that in his rookie year as a guy who probably came up to Canada thinking, and I don't want to pre, pre, you know, like put this on him in any way, but, you know, guys come up from the States and probably think, oh, I'm going to be a star up here. And he's toiled away on special teams. He's been exceptional at it. He's been the best cover guy in the league by far, in my opinion. And these guys don't get as much love in this award as they should. I remember it was probably, oh geez, maybe 10 years ago now that Mark Beswick was actually the East nominee for most outstanding special teams player. He ultimately lost it to whoever the West nominee was. I don't remember who it was, but that was because there wasn't really any return men that deserved it. And then sometimes, I mean, Lewis Ward once won it as a kicker because he was perfect on his kicks, which makes sense. But Special teams guys, your your gunners, your your coverage guys don't get a lot of love in this. And I think having arguably the best guy in the league at it, I think that is more impressive than even what McAllister's done in the return game. He's been great. He's busted a couple, but they've been called back on penalties. The Ticats have what? I think allowed one kick or punt return touchdown. And it was that one that came against Montreal where it should have been negated by a block in the back on Stavros Katz and Tonis. Did you remember that from way earlier back in the summer? Yes. There was like a flag thrown and they were like, he was in the halo and then they're like, Oh, but he was pushed into the halo, but the return stood. It was, it was such a hodgepodge of mess that should have never happened. So 
in my mind, the Ticats haven't allowed a special teams touchdown this year. I can't. Is there is there one I'm forgetting though? Like, did they? I don't think they've given up another kick or punt return touchdown, have they? Not that I can recall. No. That's the only one I remember. So I'm sure you know Adams out there listening to the show. I'm sure he'll correct us <laughs> as he always does. He he is our. Uh, if you ever watched, uh, pardon the interruption, PTI back in the day, he's our stat boy. He's mm-hmm. the one who always comes correct with uh, filling us in on the things that we're just kind of riffing off the top of our head here, but. I've already gone too long on this. Uh, Flowers Lloyd's my guy too. I just think he's been awesome this year. And we can kind of fold this into most outstanding rookie because I think McAllister and Flowers Lloyd are your top two guys there. Dexter Lawson has kind of come on strong lately, getting a chance to start. Kenneth George Jr. has been really good starting all year. But maybe it's one of those guys. Maybe it's someone else. Who do you have for top rookie? I'm double dipping, Josh. I got Flowers Lloyd as well for most outstanding rookie. And I did consider McAllister, but I just think that Flowers Lloyd has made, I don't want to say more of an impact, but I think, uh, you know, he's he's just, he's the best, man. He's the best. So I got to go with him as the most outstanding rookie. Yeah, I really wanted to split my vote here. Because McAllister has done more offensively. I think he's got a couple touchdowns on offense. He's been a weapon. But that's kind of slowed as the season's gone on. As the team has become more reliant on Tim White, they've become a little more reliant on Keandre Smith. I felt like McAllister's role offensively has kind of dipped, whereas Flowers Lloyd has just been outstanding all 17 games that he's played so far on special teams. So I, too, went with him there. I don't think we really need to talk more about it just because we already – we already – to pardon the pun, gave him his flowers talking about him for most outstanding special teams player. All right, let's get to one of your favorite, I'm sure awards here. Most outstanding offensive lineman. A lot of, a lot of good candidates here. Where did you ultimately, or who did you ultimately pick for this one? I got to go with Revenberg. And like you said, you know, the offensive line has been, has been pretty strong this year. Uh, I think in the, you know, there's a couple guys that you could have picked, but but Revenberg has been the best offensive lineman out of all of them, I think. And uh, that's why he's getting the, the nod from me. I'm getting worried here that you and I are just going to be the same all the way down the board here because I'm going Revenberg as well. Like Coltward Manzi, I think, has actually had a really solid year, like quietly. Like I don't think he's – when you think of what this offensive line was to start the year, everyone healthy – you got Joel Figueroa, you got Revenberg, you got David Beard, and then we thought it would be either Kyle Saxlid or Chris Van Zyl, ended up being Tyrone Riley. But you think of those guys and you use they would Manzi was not not necessarily the weak link, but he was the one guy where you were like, hmm, I'm not sure about him. He's the guy that maybe doesn't have the name recognition of the other guys. And I think he's been pretty solid this year. I think David Beard's been been good as a center, but it's it's Revenberg for me. I I don't know how many Ty Cats will ultimately get the divisional nod simply because of how good the Argos have been. Like they're gonna not maybe not sweep the awards, but it's gonna be really hard for voters not to go with them almost exclusively, given they're gonna finish 15 wins. They you know what I mean? Like their numbers are outstanding and all that stuff. But I think Revenberg could have a shot. I think that some of his name recognition, but I also think that he's been really, really good this year. He's as much as I kind of take the PFF grades with a grain of salt, he's constantly ranked fairly highly on PFF. And I, again, he's just been, I know it's outstanding, but he's been a solid every game contributor for this team at his spot for an offensive line that has seen some juggling around. Revenberg himself has played multiple positions this year due to injury. So to see him continue to play at that high level, given his tenure in the league now, geez, it's, it's been what eight, nine years that he's been with this team to still be at that high level to me is impressive. So uh, he gets my vote there as well. Most outstanding Canadian Mike. So there's a, maybe fewer guys than, than in past years, but there's still some pretty good candidates for this award. Who'd you pick for this one? Double dipping again, Josh. I got oh, Revenberg really? is the m- most outstanding Canadian. Revenberg is the guy for me. Like you said, he, he's been with the team for eight or nine years, but it doesn't seem like that long at all. He, he seems like, you know, in my head, he's still a young guy. Um, I know in, you know in life terms, he's still a young guy, but in, in football terms, maybe not so much. But yeah, I got to go with him as well as the most outstanding Canadian. He's been stellar. We finally have our first disagreement. Finally. Uh, I gave Keandre Smith some consideration. I gave Revenberg some consideration, obviously. 
I went with Stavros Katsantonis. I think he, since he's been thrust into the starting lineup, filling in for Tunde Delique, and then playing so well that he forced the team to move a Delique to another position because they had to keep Katsantonis on the field. I think there's a good reason for that. He's been awesome. I think he's going to be a very, by CFL standards, wealthy man after this season. I think he's going to be potentially the highest paid defensive back in the league. And I think the Ticats are going to pony up the dough to keep him here. I think seeing how well he's played and them giving him that position in the final year of his contract tells me that they they view him as a future cornerstone of this franchise and his numbers have been excellent. I'm going to pull him up here. He had like, what was it? I think three games in a row with an interception. He's been one of the kind of catalysts behind Hamilton's uh, kind of resurgence defensively. This team was not very good on the defensive end. I think we could say for what the at, at worst, the first half of the season, if not nearly the first two thirds. Uh, but he's third on this team in tackles which, I mean, is not the greatest thing in the world, but he's also got two sacks, he's got five picks, he's got a touchdown, a forced fumble. fumble. Like, he's kind of doing it all from that safety position. And given that the Ticats have a number of decent Canadians, but no one that's real, I don't think anyone that's stood out incredibly, Katzentonis has been the guy that's kind of stood out for me. So that that's why I went with him there. Did you give him any consideration or was this just for you, Revenberg, all the way? No, I definitely gave him some consideration. I mean, five picks and you mentioned the other the other numbers is spectacular. I just felt like he wasn't, you know, starting the whole season. So mm-hmm. I didn't really look him as strongly, but I, I totally, totally get your pick because this guy's been a stud in the secondary all season long and he's versatile too. He can play safety. He can play other positions in the secondary. So yeah, I, I give a thumbs up to the cast and Tonus pick. There's no doubt about it. All right. Most outstanding defensive player. This was the hardest one for me to it's pick. Tough. What about you? It's very tough. They're very tough. I, but I, I ended up going with Jameer Thurman. Um, oh, okay. And I know that there's like, there's, there's other options and there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, he leads the team in tackles uh, he has four QB sacks, two interceptions, uh, t- only one tackle for loss. But I just feel like he's been, you know, Simone has really come on lately in the linebackers, but I feel like he's been the best linebacker all season long, and uh, he's just done a stellar job in that position. Yeah, Thurman's definitely got the numbers. Like you said, 92 tackles, like leads the team in tackles. He's been making plays, got two interceptions, four sacks. So he's clearly had his moments. Katzentonis was a guy I thought maybe double dip in here. I, I, as hard as I was on Simone earlier this season, I thought he had lost his step. He has been phenomenal down the stretch here. Mm-hmm. Really picked up his, his play. It almost felt like when he got that record, what was it? He became 10th all time in tackles. It was like that sort of, sparked this resurgence from him. Like I thought this could be his last year. And I very nearly wrote in my column after the BC lions game, like could this have been the Hamilton farewell for Simone Lawrence? I don't see any reason why the team wouldn't bring him back. Now the slow start to the season was a little concerning, but seeing how he's stayed healthy played he's played every game. Like maybe he doesn't play this weekend because they give him a week off because he is a veteran, but He's played every game, hasn't missed it any time due to injury. I really wanted to go with him, but I ultimately went with maybe a little bit of a dark horse candidate here. Went with Richard Leonard. I think that's a guy who doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. I think he's been one of the only, he was like the veteran presence in the secondary that I think this team, like we talked in the offseason about how well, they went young in the secondary, they went young in the secondary. And it was kind of Leonard and Adelike were like the only two guys that you were like, okay, we feel good about these guys. He's been a lockdown corner or a lockdown halfback. He's really impressed me even more so than he did in previous years with this team. It seems as if he's just gotten better with age. I thought Casey Sales could have been a guy that 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 I very nearly put as my top defensive player. This was, like I said, the the hardest one to pick. I think there's a lot of really viable candidates. I kind of just went with a guy I think that maybe hasn't gotten, and maybe this is a 
a biased thing on my part. A guy that I don't think has gotten his due over his career with both the Ticats and the Stampeders as, as one of the better field halfbacks in the league. And I think he's just put together a really great season. Now, obviously, he's he's injured now, getting hurt against the Lions. We'll see if he'll be back for this game. Maybe they hold him out again. We'll have to wait and see. But I don't know, man. It, this was like... I almost felt like putting five or six, seven names in a hat and just picking one out. That's how hard it was. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think the defense as a whole has been great. I think we've discussed that countless times over the last, uh, what 17, 18, 19 weeks now, 20 weeks almost, I guess. Um, but I, I, I just think that there's been, the guys have come on late. The defense has picked it up late. And I just think Leonard, even during when the team wasn't great, he was still out there doing his thing. So that's, that's kind of why I went with him. I think he's been great the entire season versus some of these guys who have had maybe ups and downs. But this was this was an incredibly, incredibly difficult award to pick. And let's just hope that, you know, who cares about the next game? Let's hope that Richard Leonard is ready for the playoffs. Yes. Because, like you said, he's the most veteran-savvy player in that secondary. Um, I don't know the the status of Adele Kay. Um, I know he's a veteran guy as well. But it would, it would be... In the best interest of the Tigers to have Richard Leonard playing in the secondary when it comes uh, playoff time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the big boy, the top dog, the most outstanding player. Mike, maybe there's a defensive player you like, or maybe you're you're going to go offensive player. Who do you got for MOP for the Ticats this year? To me, it came down to Tim White or James Butler. And... It was a really tough one for me between those two guys, but I'm going to go with Timmy White. You know, he leads okay. the league in receiving yards. He's third in receiving touchdowns. <clears throat> you know, the impact. When when Tim White has a good game, the Hamilton Tiger Cats win. And you could say the same thing for James Butler. So I, I wouldn't, you know, if you say James Butler, I would not stick my nose up at that opinion at all. But I'm going to roll with Timmy White. I did go James Butler. And you're right. It was these two guys. These were the guys. And my, my simple reasoning for Butler is Tim White did. I want to be kind here. Tim White was underwhelming to start this season. You know what I mean? And that's sort of been his MO during his CFL career is that he starts slow and then goes on a tear late in the season. And maybe that speaks to, I don't know. He's got to get a feel for the offense. He's got to get a feel for the, for the season. I don't know, but James Butler's been pretty damn good the entire time. Yeah, he's had his ups and downs. There was games where he wasn't featured. But both of these guys kind of took off when Scott Milanovic started calling plays. So I kind of put them at even pace there, whereas Butler was reasonably good when Condell was calling the plays. So it, it it's splitting hairs here, really. I, I have no I have no argument really against Tim White. It's just, I really, James Butler transformed what this offense was capable of once he was given an increased role. You know what I mean? And how many years have we been calling for, let's get a running back who can do it all. Let's get, when when are we going to use a running back like, like this team used to use in the past, going back to uh, Troy Davis and, and DeAndre Cobb and for a short, short spell when he was healthy, CJ Gable. James Butler, if he plays this next week, is probably going to finish second in the league in rushing. I can't tell you the last time a Tiger Cats player did that. He's well over a thousand yards already. When we sat down, I'd be I'd be curious to go back and listen to our preseason episodes or anytime we talked about James Butler, what we wanted out of him this year. He's done that and then some. You know what I mean? Like what I think he's got so I don't know. I know he's got eleven hundred yards rushing. He's got over five hundred yards receiving. Yep. So if he plays and just has a ho-hum game, like he's probably going to go over 1,700 yards of offense. When's the last time the Ticats had a running back do that? Now, I'm not taking anything away from Timmy White. Uh, Tim White's been great. He, again, if he plays this week, there's a really good chance that he is going to lead the league, finish as the league's leading receiver. The guys the guys behind him, Keon Hatcher, has played all his games. Dalton Schoen is not going to play. Austin Mack has a chance if he has a big game against the Ticats, but who knows if he's going to play, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a chance that Tim White is going to be the league's top receiver, but we saw that recently with guys, Brandon Banks did it, you know what I mean? So, and that's not saying, and Brandon Banks won MOP because of it, but I, we've seen what Tim White's 
been do we see what Tim White's done, we've seen done with this team before. And again, it's not I'm not taking anything away from how well he's played because he's been awesome. This is the first time we've seen a running back do what James Butler's done in a decade. You know what I mean? So given that, given what he's meant to the team, given that his whole season as a whole, again, I know there's been ups and downs in the stats, but when he's been used correctly, he's been damn near unstoppable. So in a very, like again, this is like a 51-49 split here for me. I went with James Butler. So I thought we were going to go all, I thought we were going to agree on all of them. And then once I said that, we disagreed on every single one after that. So I guess, I guess I reverse jinxed us on that one. Yeah. And you almost like brought me to your side there. Uh, you know, you think about it and <clears throat> James Butler over a thousand yards along the ground, over 500 yards through the air, you know, his blocking skills. I, it's a strong argument to have him as the most outstanding player. He just, he adds more than uh, Tim White can really, because all he's, his mm-hmm. job is is to catch the ball. So I'll stick with Tim White, but it, it's a damn strong argument to go with James Butler. Yeah, and it's always like in my head, and maybe it's the same with you, it's do we focus on the outstanding part? You know what I mean? Because like there's obviously this big debate uh, as to who should be the MOP this year. There's There were people, though I think those people have come off it, that said Vernon Adams should be it. There are obviously those that say Zach Kolaris. There are some that say, like myself, I think Brady Oliveira is a guy that should probably be in consideration for it, if not be the winner, because of what he does. He's so, as great as James Butler has been, as great as Kevin Brown has been in Edmonton, Oliveira's numbers are so far outpacing everybody else's that it's like, well, he's head and shoulders better than everybody else in his position. And, you know, Kolaris had a bit of a down year. Then there's the Chad Kelly thing. It's like, his passing numbers, like passing touchdowns and such, aren't great. Like, I think he's got 23 touchdown passes, 22 touchdown passes, and like 13, 14 picks. Like, that's not great. But then you had in the running element of it, and it's like, but then how much does he, does he get dinged? Because the Argos were so good that his numbers don't get inflated because he hasn't had to play as much. Like, it's such – this year feels like a really weird year for that award, because I think there's arguments for a lot of guys. And I think it's going to come down to your definition of outstanding. Like if we're talking most valuable player, I think it's Chad Kelly in a walk. You know what I mean? If we're talking most valuable player for the tie cats, I think it's probably James Butler. You know what I mean? Because of the value he brings, like you said, mm-hmm. doing multiple things, running, receiving and blocking whereas Tim White can rip, but that it's that outstanding that really kind of, it changes the way I think about it. What about you? Yeah. I think that with, with the Chad Kelly, it's, I'm with you on the most valuable player, but if you look at his numbers, it's not the most outstanding player. I mean, his numbers just don't leap off the page. And I know that he's done a great job this year. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the offensive line in front of him is spectacular. They've given up like 15 sacks or something stupid this season. Uh, The running game is great. He's, he's, he's benefited from a lot of talent around him. He's benefited from really good coaching and, you know, he's an important part of the team, but I just don't think that he's the most outstanding player this year. I know he's going to probably get the votes and he's probably going to be the East representative, but I, I just don't think he necessarily deserves that award if we're talking about most outstanding. Yeah, it's really weird because it comes off as like, oh, there's a couple of Ticap fans hating on Chad Kelly, where it's like... Oh. No, he's great. I, he's I, been great. I, I, I thought it was absurd that he was ranked so high, like the betting markets for him to be MOP. I thought it was absurd at the start of the year. Yep. And then I started watching him play and I was like, no, this guy can ball like this. This guy is really good. But then you just you, you do look at the numbers. And like I said, like 23 touchdowns, 12 picks. But then it's like he adds the eight touchdowns rushing. But then it's like, how many fumbles did he have? Like, that's not something that you see on like a stats page. And it's like, I don't It's It feels as if the momentum is towards him winning the award, but it's like, I, I just, I don't know. The, it feels like a really tough year for me to make that decision at that, at that, just because it's like, do you go with Claire? Cause is this the worst year Claris has had? Like when you think of the years he won MLP previously, you're like, Oh yeah, he was clear. Like, you know what I mean? Like it made sense this year. It feels like, remember the year Solomon Elamimian won it because there was just like no, real offensive guy. I don't think it's that level this year, but it just, it feels as if there's just, there's usually by this point a consensus on at least who it should be. Even if it's not an overwhelming consensus, I, I, there's so many possibilities here 
it feels like it's this is really hard to pin down. I feel like no matter who wins it, there's going to be arguments against them as to why they shouldn't have. Yeah, and it, I mean, if you look at just purely the numbers with quarterbacks, if you look, Vernon Adams is leading the league in passing yards. He's second in passing touchdowns. Um, I think he's, he, yeah, he's going to be the only quarterback that has a chance at 5,000 yards. No, he and doesn't because be, he's played eight, he's already played 18 games. Oh, no shit, one's yeah, wrong for right. 5,000 this year. So, so, yeah, so that's like, you. Uh, anyway, we talked about this before, but 5,000 yards used to be the benchmark for like a really good yeah. year for the for quarterbacks. And it seems like 4,000 is that benchmark now, which is kind of unfortunate, but he leads the league in passing yards by about 500 yards yeah. and he's pretty damn close to Zach Kolaris. So, you know, yeah, there, the argument is still there for Vernon Adams, even though earlier in the year, I didn't really think of him as a MOP type candidate, but you know, you look at the, the numbers now and he's, he's pretty close. And what's weird is that it's going to come down to quarterback wins, which is like the least, yeah, the least defined part of outstanding. It's going to come down to Kelly and Kolaris for the, for the award. I bet you. And then it's, it, oh, well, Kelly won 16, Kolaris won 14. I guess it's Kelly. And it's like, that mm-hmm. doesn't dictate, I don't know. It's just, this feels like a, a really tough year to vote for that. So I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I just, I think that no matter who wins that award, whether it's one of those three quarterbacks or whether it's Brady Olivier that comes out of nowhere, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people. You know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. Speaking of pissed off people and speaking of the Argos, we can move on to the next topic we want to discuss here. Matt Cause of CFL.ca, who is uh, he's a D, I, I like his stuff. He, he's not afraid to be a little, not controversial, but he's not afraid to stir the pot. And I kind of dig that yeah. a little bit. And he's fun. He's a fun guy. He is. He's a fun, he's an Argo fan, but he doesn't, he's not one of those Argo fans. Like, no, nah, he's not a jerk, basically. Let's yeah. put it that way. Wrote an article for the web, for CFL website. Long article, really good. Go out of your way to read it. Kind of wondering, arguing, questioning, is this year's Argos team the greatest single-season team in CFL history? And this got people a big a mad because, I mean, whenever you say something could be the greatest, they they go nuts. Remember when I said the Ticats were going to go undefeated in 2021? I got a lot of hate for that and had mm-hmm. to eat a lot of crow when they lost the first game of the year. But I stand by that that's – I still believe that that – was a correct take to make, even though it did not happen remotely close to what I felt. But I said it because I thought it cause writes this article goes into talking about the Flutie years in 96, 97 and those Argos teams and comparing them to this one and all that stuff. This got a lot of people angry. What do you think, Mike? Is there an argument to be made? But let now we're going to kind of jump to the future here. We're going to say that the Argos win the, because they're going to win the – let's say the, this team – they win this weekend against Ottawa. They win the Grey Cup. They go 16-2. They win the championship. We're going to we're gonna say that that's the end game here because, as we all know, if the team doesn't win a Grey Cup, they can't be considered in consideration because if that's the case, then the 16-2 Edmonton team from 89 would be the greatest of all time, but they didn't even win a playoff game. You know what I mean? So yep. we'll say that this goes the way – it goes chalk. The Argos win it all. They, they go 16-2. Kelly's the MOP, whatever. They win a bunch of awards. Is it does is is the argument there? This is the best team, single season team in CFL history. Like, is 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 that a ridiculous thing to say? Like, so many people think, or is that is that fair game here? I don't think it's ridiculous because if they do go all the way, win the Grey Cup, they'll have you know the best. They'll be tied for the best regular season record in history, and then they will go on to actually win the championship, which Edmonton didn't do in 1989. So I think the argument's there and. I want, you know, the rest of the season, I know there's only one game left for the Argonauts and it's a nothing game for them, but, you know, I'm just kind of looking at some of the stats from the 97 team Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you could compare them better after the year's done, you know, awards, all-stars, you know, uh, points for points against. Um, So I think it's a, it's a, it's it's interesting topic if we wanted to compare the Flutie teams, the Argonaut Flutie teams to this Argonaut team. You know, the 97 team had 660 points for and only 327 points against. Um, I'm not sure what the Argonauts team of this year, the points for and points against looks like. But um, I think, yeah, I think the argument is there to be had just because the Flutie teams are held in such high regard doesn't mean that this team isn't better. Right. So at the end of the year, I think we can look back 
And if the Argonauts win the Grey Cup, which hopefully they don't, we can take a <laughs> deeper dive into this argument. So this year, Argos have scored 564 points and allowed 374. So that 97 team obviously scored way, way more. I I don't think this is a stupid argument to make. I don't necessarily know if I agree. Uh, I think in recent history, like I think that Stampeders team in what was it, 2016, I think they went 15-2-1, lost the Grey Cup to Ottawa. I think that's a better team. I think if you, you know, time traveled these two teams to play each other, I, I mean, that might be hard because I think some of the players from that Stan Peters team actually play on the Argos team this year. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. Tavares Daniels was on both. So that would, I'm sure there's some space-time continuum stuff there that would uh, that would cause some some havoc. But I think that Stan Peters team would beat that one. I think that Ticats team from 2019, I think, might be better than this Argos team. I don't think it's a silly thing to say. I don't. Because if they do, and because here's the thing, if they go 16 and two, and then they win the East Final and they win the Grey Cup, they finish with an 18 and two record. And the only two games they lost was one where Chad Kelly didn't play, and the other where he got hurt, and they only lost by 13. And there was a special teams touchdown. I think you can make the argument that this team is the the best ever. Like you, I don't want them to win the Grey Cup, obviously, but I I just found that the the anger that this produced was a little over the top. Like, did you see any of the comments? Like people basically just calling cause here, like a doofus for thinking this. And like, yes, I just, I, why are people so angry? Like what, what I, can you make hide nor hair of why people get so bent out of shape when, 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 when it comes to players, we're fine with, Oh, this new guy could be the best ever. This new guy could be top five of all time. But when it comes to teams, I feel like like fans are way less. Is it just reverence for those teams? Like it might be, might be just man, nostalgia type thing. Yeah, like so. Like my dad, me and my brother sat down with my dad one time. And we were joking about Josh Allen. My dad's a big Bills fan, and my brother said like, if Josh Allen wins a Super Bowl, you still won't say he's better than Jim Kelly. And my dad said absolutely not. And it's like. But Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Jim. You know what I mean? But because my dad was in his late 20s, early – was he in his late 20s, early 30s? Or was he in his 40s when that happened? No, I guess he would have been near near in, in his near 40s. But he was about my age. But he had such reverence for those Bills teams that it's hard for him to be like, even though the new guy is awesome, man, that guy yeah. that I that I loved when I was younger, nah, he's he's still the he's still the guy. It, it'll take me – like. I don't know if I'm ever going to say tell you that a quarterback in professional football is better than Joe Montana or that you know mm-hmm. what I mean like you or like I grew up like I've I've kind of come to the LeBron side of the LeBron Jordan debate but that's neither here nor there but you know what I mean like you those things that you attach yourself to when you're younger it's really hard to come off that when you're older I find do you think that might have something to do with why people are so visceral and being like, instead of like, cause it's one thing to be like, no, I don't think it's the, I don't think these are the best, but here, like we did, like you just mentioned the 97 Argos. I mentioned a couple of even more recent teams than that. I'm sure there's Edmonton fans who will tell you the, you know, 79 or 80, whatever. One of those Edmonton teams was better than this Argos. You know what I mean? Like I didn't see that. I just saw you're a doofus. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Instead of having that, debate or having the here's my counter argument like you and yeah. i are having a counter argument here i think that that's more constructive it, do you think it's just a nostalgia thing do you think it's people just unwilling to bend from a previously held belief that team x was better and that the idea that someone knew some team knew could be better just kind of messes with their with their brain or something i think that's part of it and i think that it's just social media as a whole you know it's easier to say you're a fucking idiot compared to you know writing Has social your... media ruined sports I think social bit. media has ruined a lot of things. Life. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to be that old guy that, uh, you know, says everything today is bad. But, uh, yeah, I think social media has been – social media has good parts to it. Don't get me wrong. You can keep in contact with your old friends and all that stuff. But I think it has ruined a lot of things. But I'm looking at the 1997 Eastern Division. Okay. There, there were two good teams. Toronto and Montreal. Toronto was 15 and 3. Montreal, not far behind at 13 and 5. The Ooh, Bombers were four. Oh, four. Was, wasn't that Montreal too? That's Tracy Ham, Mike Pringle, Don Matthews. Yeah, That's a damn good, good Isles team. Okay, I, I think I see Absolutely. where you're going here. But 
The Bombers sucked. They were four and fourteen, and our beloved Tiger Cats were two and sixteen. So I would say that the Eastern Division is tougher this year than it was back in 1997. Now, yeah, maybe the Western Division was better um, in 1997, but you know you're playing mostly Eastern Division teams. Well, not mostly, but the majority. Um, you're going to play in your division more than you're going to play in the West. So just an interesting thing to look at the, because uh, the, the Bombers and the Ticats really, really stunk that year. Yeah. This year, the team is, I mean, Ottawa really, really sucks, but you're right. The third place team this year is better than third place team that year is 97. That's the year they played the, like weren't the, didn't the Riders make the great cup that year and the Argos yeah, they just, got smoked 47, yeah, and, 23. But, and weren't the Riders like eight and 10. Like, weren't they a th- an 8-10 and 10 three seed that got all the way to the Grey Cup? Like, I believe so. Yeah, they had Neilon Green as their quarterback, so that's not much. You know, was he, it, it was been, it was was it Neilon Green? I'm pretty pretty sure it was Neilon. For some Green. reason, I thought it was Danny Barrett, but now I'm now I'm not sure. I'm gonna look this up. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm. I thought Neilon Green was later, but I you're you're the Neilon Green guy, so maybe I, maybe you're right. <laughs> I'm, wrong. I'm the Neilon Green guy. <laughs> uh, i did have a jersey at one time Neilon green wikipedia does not help me there so that's not gonna be anyway i'm sure again i'm sure someone will correct us whether it was Neilon green or danny barrett or some other or reggie slack or or Ooh, someone else into maybe he was slack maybe he was slack maybe that's what i'm thinking of reggie slack and Neilon green were kind of similar in the fact the same? that they, they ran but couldn't throw very well yeah, um, but you're you right. I can't. I can't see anything on this Wikipedia. Looking up site. Reggie Slack. Reggie Slack was on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders from '97 to '99. So it must have been him. Yeah. I think it was Reggie Slack. I don't know why that came. I again, ask me what I did three weeks ago, and I'll be like, uh, I know. I don't yeah. know. Ask me who was the starting quarterback for the 1997 Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and I'll pull mm-hmm. Reggie Slack right out of my ass. But yeah, they were eight and ten. They finished third in the West, and they made it all the way to the Grey Cup. Like. So was it that like you don't want to take anything away from, I mean, the week before the Riders started their playoff run, they got beat 55, nine by the bombers in the last week. Like, again, I'm not taking anything away from the bombers stunk. Yeah. yeah, And the bombers stunk that year. Like, that's what you're saying. Like, yeah. I don't, I, so, I don't know how they managed to sneak through. Um, Edmonton had a pretty good team that year at 12 and six Calgary was 10 and eight. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting debate. There's no question about it. And um, either way, 96, 97 Argonauts, very good team. 2023 yeah. Argonauts, very good team. It's just, yeah, it's a it's a fun debate to have. It is, and I just I just wish people would be more. I wish they would okay. have the conversations that we have now. Obviously, you can't do that on social media, but you kind of can. But I just wish that people would be more apt to have these more nuanced. It doesn't. Not everything has to be debatable. Not everything has to be disagreeable. We can have, like, I'm like, I might have dropped that 2016 Stampeders team, and in your head you're thinking they weren't that. It, they weren't as good as because you're not a bow guy, and you weren't. Like I remember you all those years, you weren't as impressed with the Stamps as maybe I was. But you know what I mean? Like, there are other teams. What was the year Winnipeg? Kahari Jones won MOP. Milt Stegall right. had a bazillion yards and touchdowns. They lost the Great Cup to Calgary. It was 2001, I believe. 2001, yeah, that, I believe. Yeah. That Bombers team was fantastic. You know what? The Bombers team that beat Hamilton in 2021 was a great team. Like 11 and 3 yeah. running rough shot. Like there's been a lot of great teams, a lot of teams that are in that discussion. But I don't, I just think. I think I was supposed the, to be in attendance for that 2001 Great Cup, actually. But. Really? Yeah, I got in trouble though. My parents didn't take me. I threw a party and they found out, so I wasn't allowed to go with them. So. Oh, Mikey, 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 oh, doing things you're not supposed to do. Tisk, oh, tisk, 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 tisk. Uh, all right. So we didn't really come to a conclusion here, but I think that's the fun thing about sports. There's never a definitive answer for anything. You know what I mean? With the exception of Jerry Rice, is the greatest receiver in professional football. No one. You can't say definitively about anything else <laughs> in sports, right? Like, honestly. Well, I mean. Well, they were playing against uh, plumbers and carpenters and games, though. So, I mean, that's he scored just... 22 touchdowns in 12 games one year. No, Give no, anything before 2010 is garbage. Oh, no, no. well, <laughs> I mean, I wish that they were still playing plumbers now, or and you know, yes. accountants and what have you, because then maybe you and I would have a shot at playing yes. some professional sports if that's the case. Yeah, that, that that's the thing too, though. Like people who want to talk about the modern stuff have to disrespect the old, like. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's so weird to me. And maybe this is just the way that sports media has gone. You and I were talking pre-show about how we have decided to consume less sports media and it's kind of made our sports watching, at least mine. I, I don't want to speak for you because I don't even think you said it. It has it's made, it's made it more enjoyable to yeah. watch when it's not constantly about like, it's, it's a lot about what guys can't do. It's in, instead of seeing like what this guy did and why it's great. It's always like, yeah, it's great, but not as good as what this guy did. And I think that mm-hmm. that started with the whole Jordan LeBron thing. I think that's where the well got poisoned. And then it's just kind of splintered into everything else because it's, it's become to, it's gotten to the point where, and it, it's, it's especially bad in the States. I think it's less so up here, but it's especially bad in the States with all those like debate style shows where it has to be, antagonistic you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's adversary mm-hmm. it's like a court case it's like there has to be a defense and there has to be a prosecutor and it's like you and i we disagree sometimes but i think more often than not we we agree or if we disagree we disagree respectfully it's not ne- it's never yeah. but like we I don't mean, plan we, out we, we don't try no. to disagree you know we just no. go with the flow you, you and that's and i just feel as if some of these this is what's kind of happened in sports where it's like, you have to, the more salacious, the more headlines you get, the more, you know what I mean? And I just think it's, instead of having these nuanced kind of like, okay, this is your point of view. I can see it. Here's what I think. And again, it's sports. You're never coming to a consensus. Like, I mean, there are people that will tell you that Wayne Gretzky was no good. There are people that will tell you that Sidney Crosby is no good. There will people that will tell you, I'm sure there's people out there that think Doug Flutie is overrated. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. No one, no, everyone's not going to agree on everything. And that's just the way it is because sports is subjective. Yes, there's winners and losers and it's binary and all that. But so much goes into who wins and who loses that to boil it down, especially when it comes to players is hard. And I think people just, they just want to react negatively to everything. And I don't know, I think it's, it's kind of ruined the enjoyment of sports, but consuming less sports media and not being on social media as much has kind of made me enjoy sports more this year. So Odd to say that as we're recording a podcast, but that's kind of how it's gone with me. Like, <laughs> yeah, please listen to us, but don't listen to anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the best. Um, but I do remember there was one guy that uh, was trying to, you know, downplay how good Flutie was in the CFL. He was like, oh, well, the, 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 you know, the players weren't as good in the 90s as they are now. And I was like, well, he did go down to the NFL when he was 36 years old. And yep. he wasn't exactly a bum when he went down yep. there. I think he, he was a pro bowler one year. He led the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs. My and dad and screwed my over. brother, my brother is my, now my brother's a big Jacksonville Jaguars fan and that miracle music city miracle thing. My brother is convinced that the bills would have won the super bowl that year. If that, if that play mm-hmm. was called, cause I still think it's a forward pass quite frankly, all these years later, my brother who who's ja- the Jags were great that year. They'd beaten everybody, but Tennessee, they went 14 to it. He doesn't, he hates the Tennessee Titans because of it. And he never lets me forget it, that if not for the Tennessee Titans, the Jaguars go undefeated that year and win the Super Bowl. But he does concede. He goes, if Flutie got them in a playoff game, that would have scared the bejesus out of him. Because that was what Flutie did. And you're right. He was in his mid to late 30s, went down there, and was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. He had a, you know, and the politics kind of came into place because yeah. he, he proved that he could play well in the NFL. And he was just an excited guy to watch even when he went down south. Um, you know, he could still kind of do the things that he did in the CFL, he ran around like he did. You know, I remember, I think one of the first games he played, he did a bootleg into the end zone to win the yep. game. And uh, it was either against the Patriots or the Dolphins or the Colts, or I can't remember, but I, yeah. I can, I can see the play in my head. Mm-hmm. And you see, was, you know, everyone doubted him. He's too short. He's too short. He, he was, he was still, he was doing those jump passes, and it was just completely. Um, you know, out of the realm of the NFL. And it was just like, what is this guy up to? But if he was playing nowadays, I think he would probably would have been um, a star his whole career in the NFL. So the only thing that would have hurt him is his size. He was even by today's less stringent quarterback size standards would have still been pretty small, but you're telling me he couldn't be Russell Wilson. Like maybe his career is not 25 years long. Like maybe he's not Tom Brady. Maybe he's not Peyton Manning. He couldn't be Russell Wilson. Like, yeah, if, if Flutie came about today, he never plays in Canada. He they find mm-hmm. him a home in the states, and I don't know. I think uh, I think his his career would be viewed much more favorably than it is by by some now. Even though in Canada, it's it's I think we all kind of most of us agree that he's the greatest player that ever played up here. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some people that disagree with us on that, and, and that's fine. All right, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Grey Cup. And let's talk about Grey Cup matchups that are 
sadly more likely than the ones we want to see, which are the ones that feature our Hamilton Tiger Cats. So I thought it would be fun if we decided on which Grey Cup matchup that Hamilton wasn't in that we want to see the most and which one that we want to see the least. What would you like to start with? You want to start, you want to go negative into positive or positive into negative? Let's go positive into negative. Okay. Um, okay. So what great cup matchup then, Mike, that does not include the Hamilton Tiger Cats, do you most want to see come mid-November? I think the best matchup you could get, the most entertaining matchup you could get would probably be Toronto against BC. Um, you know, both high-flying offenses, they they both can put up points on the board. Um, I just think it would be a fun game to see Vernon Adams go against Chad Kelly in the quarterback positions. And uh, I think it'd be a high scoring affair that would go down as uh, a really good great cup. So I'm going to go with Toronto versus the Lions. That's not a bad one. I got the Lions in mind too, but I'm going with the Alouettes. I just think that that might be, I think Toronto's just so good that potentially any great cup matchup they're in might not be as entertaining as it would be if the owls or the tie cats got there and since we've eliminated the tie cats from this i gotta go with the owls and i just think i think montreal and winnipeg would be i think winnipeg would blow them out of the water i think montreal and calgary would be a snooze fest you know i think montreal might blow the stampeders out and then i just go to that bc they have their a games they have their f games you kind of never know what you're going to get from them and i think that makes them an exciting opponent in the Grey Cup and the Alouettes, they're not great, but they're not bad. I think that could be a really fun matchup. You get Cody Fajardo doing his thing. You got Vernon Adams doing his thing. You got, I mean, you got Rick Campbell and Jason Moss as your head coaching matchup. They were on the same staff in Ottawa that won a Grey Cup together. You got storylines of plenty there. There's play, Austin Mack is a playmaker that you got Stanback, you got Fletcher, you got all those guys on, on Montreal's offense. You look at BC's offense, they got a number of guys that can, you know, Dominique Grimes and Keon Hatcher. Like there's a lot of fun stuff there. I think in Montreal and BC could be a really fun matchup. And I think that's one we haven't seen since, what was it, 2006, I think, was the last time those two teams yeah. met in the Grey Cal- Cup. Calvillo and Dickinson, I believe. And Dickinson. So, I mean, Fajardo, Fajardo Adams doesn't have the cachet of those two, but I still think the Owls and the Lions could be a really, really fun Grey Cup matchup. So that's the one that I would most want to see. And then I don't have to see Winnipeg, and I don't have to see Toronto, and I don't really have to care who wins. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, you just enjoy it. I, ju- I could just sit there, enjoy the game, enjoy the Green Day concert at halftime and just hope no one gets hurt. And it's a it's a fun, exciting game. And I think that that's what I would get with the Owls and the Lions there. So what's your I think we might be in agreement on this one. Your least wanted Grey Cup matchup. Yeah, I'm going to go with the rematch of last year, Toronto and Winnipeg. It might be a great game and everything but i just i don't like either of these teams and uh, i wouldn't be at the top of my list as uh, as a matchup that i want to see so toronto versus winnipeg is is my choice it would probably be the best game because they're two evenly matched teams i don't want to see the argument bombers too either. much blue you know it's a rematch like you said it's chalk which means the one seeds both make it to the championship game I have to watch the Argos in the Grey Cup knowing they're going to win. That means the Argos are going to win back-to-back. And if they don't, if that magical run, if they get to the Grey Cup and they win all the time, comes to an end, the Bombers win three in four years. Like, it's just it's kind of boring as a matchup because we saw it last year. Like, I don't want to see Hamilton and Winnipeg this year either. You know what I mean? Like, it, we've seen it. We've done it. I want. I always want there to be kind of fresh blood and maybe that's why I picked the Owls and the Lions because neither of those two teams have been to the Grey Cup in over 10 years. Owls haven't been there since 2010. Lions haven't been there since 2011. So it'd be it'd be new new blood in that game. Argos Bombers would be like as much as it would probably be a really good game. I'd be sitting there going like, it, it's what I call and what I have called now for the past 10 years, uh, a Bane game. Remember Bane in the Dark Knight Rises where he goes to that football game and blows up the stadium? That yes. is what I would want. And I'd be sitting in the stadium, and I would still want him, a terrorist, cartoon, superhero, supervillain coming in and blowing up the stadium and killing me as opposed to seeing this game played out to the end. I just I don't want to watch these two teams play football anymore. I, I'm bored of it. I, I they're they're good yes and I and I'm sure it'll get us hate from any fans of those that listen to our show although I can't imagine there's that many I just don't want to see these two teams match up again I I 
I just, I just, Frank, I just don't, I, I, I got, I don't really have any other reason other than that. I just don't. And I'm not surprised that, that you and I have this. What do you think kind of, I didn't prep you for this. What do you think would be the worst great cup matchup? Like, what do you think has the most potential to just be like a, a, a terrible, terrible game? Is it Argo Stampeders? I keep forgetting that Stampeders snuck into the Even playoffs. Made the playoffs. Jeez, yeah, that might be it. I would argue that Montreal Winnipeg might be uh, a snooze fest as well because I just yeah. think that um, if there's a lot of pressure on Fajardo, he's going to um, shit the he, bed. He might crumble, and I think yeah. that the the Winnipeg Blue Bombers might be able to do that against the Montreal Alouettes, so it could be a blowout there. But also Toronto would just kick the shit out of the Stampeders as well. So. I think uh, those two matchups would just be um, not good for the CFL. I would. The reason I didn't pick Argo Stamps is because the sick part of me would just absolutely love for the Argos to go 16-2 and the Stamps to beat them in the Grey Cup. That would be hilarious. Like, that would be fun. That, that would be... Because then, okay, yeah, you got your 1999 jokes and yada, yada, yada. Then they're definitely yep. not the greatest team of all time. <laughs> no, not not if you lose to a potentially a six and twelve team, yeah. a team that in no other reputable sports league would even come close to sniffing the playoffs. But because the West Division was so wretched this year, they get to fall ass backwards into the playoffs because the Riders were so abhorrent and the Elks decided way too late before they built an offense around Trey Ford. They just they got lucky, but. If they were to beat the juggernaut Argos in the Grey Cup, I it's it's the one scenario where I'm kind of okay with the Calgary Stampeders making the playoffs and winning the championship if they did that. But the problem is is that it would probably be a 50 to 4 just bludgeoning by the Argos in that game. So, yeah, just uh wouldn't be fun, but it would be hilarious. It would be absolutely hilarious because that is the thing that you, I don't care how many championships you win. I don't, you went all year going like puffing your chest out and deservedly. So, and then you fall flat on your face to a six or seven win team in the, in the title game. Yeah. In Hamilton. In Hamilton too. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, if the Argos get to the great cup, no matter who, even if they play Winnipeg, that crowd's going to be partisan for the, for the West division team. So it's going to be a road game for the Argos, regardless of who they play. And if it's the stamps, man, that would just be, I mean, they're, they're, the jokes write themselves quite frankly. And, uh, and I, I don't care if the tie cats don't win. If the Argos lose to Stan Peters, I'm making all the jokes. Well, it's pretty much guaranteed. They won't be there. Tie cats. Oh, cause of Rod Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he said, it, he said, he said tie cats and stamps. I know. He right? just totally fucking, um, <laughs> Give me attention. Give me attention now. That's not what he thinks. The like, two, he thinks like the the longest, like the third against the East against the third in the West. Like if he can't if he believes that, that, he better he should go to a sports book right now and parlay yeah. tie cats yeah. to win the East and stamps to win the West and put a hundred bucks down on it because he'd probably win ten thousand dollars. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you believe that, go put your money where your mouth is and I want to see tweet out the uh, the picture. I want to see the Put bet on you mm-hmm. having made that your because if you, if that's what you believe, because if he if he truly believes that, if I truly believe that, I would put a mint, maybe not a mint, but I would put a good chunk of money down on that because the odds would be astronomical. But yeah. he's just looking for attention, and we just gave it to him anyway. Okay, let's move on. We're, we're going to keep this short and sweet here. Tie catch game preview, final regular season game of the year in Montreal at Molson Stadium between the Tie Cats and the Owls on Saturday. It's a meaningless game. We know that both these teams are where they are in the standings. Mike Charles is going to finish second. Hamilton is going to finish third. It's a chance for the Ticats to get to nine and nine, I guess, which would be better than last year. Or they could get to eight and ten and be the exact same team they were as a season ago and play the Owls in the first round of playoffs like they did a season ago. Before we get into it, all six CFL playoff teams this year are the exact same teams from last year in the exact same spot they are. The entire wow. league finished in the exact same order as a year ago. That's unheard of like that the reason that you do predictions and you oh which team could fall which because you think that some team's going to rise up and some team's going to fall down didn't happen this was a carbon copy of a year ago with the exception of like wins and losses but that's that's unheard of i've never i've never seen that before no it's very strange and 
you know, we thought there would be at this beginning of the season, we thought there would be, you know, some some changes with that, but it just it didn't turn out that way. Uh, you know, you had questions about the BC Lions when they lost Nathan Rourke and Vernon Adams comes in and he, he fills in nicely and does a great job there. Uh, you know, we thought Hamilton would have been better. We we thought, uh, you know, Montreal was going to be a tire fire, but they, they ended up being pretty good. So, yeah, it was a very strange year. The Bombers were basically the exact same. The Lions were basically the exact same. The Riders almost had a carbon copy of a year ago. The Ticats, if they lose to Montreal, did basically the same thing they did last year, started really slow, came on at the end, snuck in, finished with eight. You know what I mean? Like, it's a very Ottawa bottomed out, Edmonton bottomed out. Just just really bizarre that all those things happen. But anyway, this game doesn't mean anything in the standings. I'm not even sure who's going to play for both sides. I'm sure there's going to be some some players, especially some veteran players that get rested. We talked about, we're talking about our Ticats Awards winners. Like, Simone's probably going to sit, maybe, who knows. Like, I, I, I'm expecting to see kind of a preseason-ish looking roster for both sides mm-hmm. here. The, the outcome doesn't matter. I mean, I guess it, it'd be nice to not finish under 500, but at the end of the day, who really cares? Is there anything you're kind of looking out for in this game, or is this just kind of like this is the pre-show before a week later when it when it really matters? I just want to get through this game healthy, you know, because we yeah. can't sit every single starter, right? There's going no. to be some guys out there that uh, have to play. So I, ju- I just want this team to be healthy. I don't know if they're going to give Bo some time to, you know, continue his kind of a preseason lead up to the playoffs. So I'd like to see Bo Levi Mitchell perform well while he's in there just to give me more confidence. But other than that, you know, it doesn't matter. So I don't have a lot to talk about for this game. I just want um, important players that we need in the playoffs not to get injured. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing here. I don't want anyone to get hurt. And if no one gets hurt, then I consider the game a success. No major players. I mean, any, you don't want to ever see any player get hurt, but especially none of the the major players. You don't want to see any of those guys go down. If none of them go down, I, I, I consider the game a win regardless of the outcome. Because, again, like I said, game doesn't matter. It's the week after. So I guess this is sort of like a, a dress rehearsal for what we'll see the next week. I don't think either team's going to show much. I can't imagine they're going to be, you're not going to see a lot of trick plays, you know, onside punts and, and gadget plays and anything like that. I think teams are going to, both teams are going to be very vanilla, hoping to kind of keep everything for, for the week after when it actually matters. So yeah, it's a little bit of a bummer that none of the games this weekend matter in any capacity. Like I guess the Argos game in a way matters just because it's like, Oh, can they get to 16 wins? Can it be the first 16 win team or just the second 16 win team ever? But I mean, the the outcomes don't really matter. Going to make for a really bizarre and hard to predict gambling show when we do that this week. You know what I mean? Like, yes. just uh, not looking forward to uh, having to pick any of this stuff this week. I can't. I, just don't... I can't really say I can do much worse than what I've done. But... <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, at least we had information there. Just we just yeah. used it incorrectly. Going into a week where it's just like, who the hell knows what's even going to happen? A little more difficult. But uh, yeah, I just. Look, I'm I'm going to watch the first half probably of this game, and then I'm heading down to Tim Hortons Field with what's looking like a hell of a crowd for the Canadian Premier League final that's going to be here between uh, Hamilton and uh, Calgary. So I won't be catching the end of the game until a few hours later after hopefully I watch our hometown team lift a, lift a trophy at home for the first time ever. Uh, it'll be the fourth championship they'd win, but the first time they'd actually got to hoist it at home in front of their fans, so that would be nice. And then hopefully the Ticats can do the same thing three weeks later. You know what I mean? So yes. yeah, like it's a, it's a meaningless game. It's uh, it's one we just got to get through, right? Like just get through it healthy, mm-hmm. like you said. And uh, then it's on to next week where the, the emotions and the, the hype will be, will be much bigger playoff football this time of year. Yeah, it's good time. Good time. Hopefully we get some Ticats wins, but uh, just get into the playoffs, man. Another, another year, another playoff. Yep. It, it, gives, it gives you a chance and that's all you can ask for at the start of the season. And don't forget the playoffs are on Saturday this year. So don't uh, hope there's yeah. no CFL. Well, obviously, if you're a CFL fan, you'd know that. But it'd be a shame for people to tune in to TSN on Sundays and being like, where's the playoff? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, I watch a lot of NFL on Sundays and college football on Saturdays. And TSN has done a really good job of of making sure fans know if they're watching yeah, that the games yeah. are on Saturday. The commercials have very much promoted 
and this and TSN gets a lot of flack for it. Well, we don't promote the league enough. They there's not a ton of commercials. Yeah. But when but when they air, it's it's very evident that the games will be on Saturday this year and not Sunday. So kudos to TSN for doing that at least. Yeah, and I'm uh, you know. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I know that there's a lot of college football on Saturdays, a lot of things to do on Saturdays, but, you know, I have the weekends off now, so it's going to be Multi- a good time Multiple watching. screens, my man, multiple yeah, screens. Yeah, you got yeah, a tablet, yeah. a phone, a TV. You got to figure out what goes where. CFL will go on the big screen, probably have some college on the little screen, probably following along with some other college stuff or whatever on the on the, on the the phone. It's uh, we, we can talk about how we hate modern society, but modern technology – has allowed mm-hmm. us to watch a plethora of things at once, which is yes. kind of awesome. Yeah, and you think about, are we talking about the 90s and the VCR era and all that stuff? And it's a far cry from what it used to be uh, back when we were kids. So there will be a lot of football consumed, no matter how many leagues are playing at the same time. For sure, for sure, for sure. All right, so that's Podski Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.